Fake news. Mr. President. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Mr. President. I just want to have one thing to say. Mr. President, I'm trying to get a word edgewise here. Fake news put out Mr. President, it's not. Mr. President, it's not fake news just because you don't like it. A few days ago, fake news Enough! Each and every Tuesday, the Journey into Comics Network brings you the real news with the poor of poor, with the late breaking news that really matters. The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Journey into Comics, the podcast dedicated to all things nerd, with your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips. Who? Star-Lord, man. Legendary outlaw. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Journey into Comics. It's Journey into Comics episode 193. As always, I am your host, Nate. How are we all doing this lovely evening? So let's get right down to it. No guest host this week. We got nobody with me. I'm flying solo, as they would say. The first time I've done this in 189 episodes of this show... I am doing essentially a full-blown solo Nate cast-styled episode of JIC, taking it all the way back to the very, very beginning of the show. A little bit different now. Obviously, I kind of have things down a little bit better, and hopefully I don't suck, but uh, hopefully you guys are having a good start to your Monday morning. Uh, hopefully your Memorial Day weekend has been fruitful, and you've been spending time with family and chilling and having a good time doing all that good stuff. I know that it's probably going to be stupid hot out today, but we're not here to do the weather. Let's get into the real deal. So I'm just going to go to somewhere we don't typically talk about on the show anymore because no one caught up with me and now I can just talk about it. So let's get into this. The Flash season four finale. What? Let me tell you what, guys. Uh, this season of The Flash was very interesting because unlike previous seasons where they had me hooked the whole time, I actually fell off pretty deep on Flash this season. I think we were like literally behind all the way up and until the week before the finale. And then we were finally caught up and waiting on just the finale when it came out. This season was different because for the first time all year, we didn't have any speedster villains. Not a single one was in this season as a, as a full-blown speedster villain. No reverse flash, no zoom, none of that. Uh, I mean, you could technically count the Earth X Barry Allen Black Death Flash or whatever, but uh, I don't. That doesn't really to me. That doesn't actually really count because it was just like for the crossover. It served its purpose, and then they were done. You know, uh, very clever way to do the crossover. By the way, this year on the uh, on the Flash and uh, Legends and Arrow and Supergirl, which that all got jumbled around. Now you've got. Uh, I think it's like Supergirls on Sundays, Arrow and Black Lightning are on Monday with Flash and Legends on Tuesdays now. I think er, don't don't quote me on that. And then I want to say like I Zombie and Riverdale are Wednesday, probably something like that. But uh, anyways, let's get into this Flash uh, finale. So for the finale, the Thinker has kind of painted everybody into a corner. He's gonna do the uh, the Enlightenment and make everybody stupid. Kind of like what's happening to Wells, which, man, what a crazy progression Wells has. He all of a sudden starts talking, and in, in, in heavy spoilers, by the way, folks. 
if you've not watched these shows, you might just want to kind of skip through this week's episode. Find what you can listen to, because everything I'm probably going to talk about today is going to spoil something in some form or fashion. But anyways, so uh, Team Flash has to figure out how to stop DeVoe. They get DeVoe's wife to kind of turn the tide. They're using um, Cecile and her mind ability power to put Barry in the thinker's mind, and then... With that, he's got to bring the good DeVoe through the maelstrom in order to save DeVoe, and then he'll be good and everything will be great, right? Well, while Barry is in there searching, there's all this other shit going on. You know, uh, Wells is getting dumber, and, like, it's just like the the shit show has really hit the fan here. And uh, eventually, you know, Barry finds Ralph, and it was like, holy shit, Ralph is not dead? Like, that's crazy. I thought they definitely murked him out earlier in the season. It made sense for the plot and the story and how DeVoe became final form DeVoe, and it was, like, so clever, you know? He used all the bus metas to slowly change himself to the point where he was unstoppable, you know? And it's like, damn, this is this is over. Like, there's no chance for Team Flash. Uh, DeVoe starts, like, knowing that Barry is in his thoughts, and he, like traps him there and then Barry and Ralph have to fight like a million like Mr. Smith type DeVos that's all I could think of was the Matrix like they were just fighting fucking infinity DeVos like infinite DeVos and you know punching and kicking and running really fast or whatever so they eventually break through the maelstrom and that's like the what you think is the end and everything's like oh it's gonna be great all the while Cecile has been like in the process of having her and Joe's baby which is gonna be Wally and Iris and Barry's like Sibling, in a weird way, I guess, Barry's sibling, but that uh, doesn't really make sense, but it doesn't matter. Anyways, so all the while they're doing that, you know, uh, the the thing is not getting better. Uh, the plan for the Enlightenment, they had it stopped at like 97 or 98% or some stuff, and it started to kind of kind of go down, they thought, and then it was like, oh, nope, not going down, it's actually still going because DeVoe had a backup plan. He knew. He's the thinker. Come on, he knew he would probably die. So he created a, you know, a holographic version of himself. And his wife takes that out too, and that was super badass. But Ralph becomes Ralph again, and DeVoe is no longer. And uh, they defeat DeVoe. And it's like, wow, it was a non-speedster season. It was a really, you know, more visceral, thought-provoking season. It wasn't a trying to figure out who did it. It was more trying to figure out how DeVoe's motives were going to work and everything, because the whole time you're just like, what? Like, what? But then, like, you look at the big picture and stuff that happens back in the midseason finale when Barry kills DeVoe. Well, doesn't Barry doesn't kill DeVoe. DeVoe is dead, and Barry is framed for the murder of DeVoe. And uh, then he comes back through the that other dude. I can't remember his name. And then, like, he just keeps transferring bodies until eventually he gets to Ralph and then he can morph into himself and have all the meta powers and stuff. It's super, really just smart, well thought out writing on how to, like, take somebody to the next level versus Flash that doesn't have super speed. Barry needs to use his brain and, and flex that muscle this time, you know, and not, uh, you know, I don't know. It was just. Um, so that was, like, really cool. And it's like, oh, Team Flash wins. Um, but, oh, guess what? No, because the. The satellites are still going. They're still going up even after they stopped holographic DeVoe. So Barry's like, okay, I'm just going to I'm gonna go and I'm going to run really fast. I'm going to jump up this fucking building. I'm going to punch the satellite on the fucking sky. And it's going to prevent it from crashing into the earth and creating this catastrophe. So Barry runs 
and he runs up this building and he runs back down the street and he runs, 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 runs. He runs up this other building and he gets ready to. And it's really weird because all of a sudden they're like slow mowing Barry getting ready to punch this satellite. And I'm like, okay, why are they slowing him down? Like, shouldn't he just like punch the fuck through that and just like make it epic? No, that's not at all what happened because what? Time is reversing. What? Time is reversing. That doesn't make sense. So Barry is doing the same thing he just did. He's making the lap. He's going up the building. He's going back down the building, up the street, back up the building. He's going to punch this thing. And that secret speedster and that lady we've been seeing all season shows up and helps Barry punch the satellite into oblivion. And then kind of fast forward, you know, Barry admits he he wasn't the only one that was there to do it. And he doesn't know who the speedster was. And it was really crazy. And then there at Cecile Horton's, uh, D.A. Cecile Horton's uh, baby shower. And they're celebrating the birth of, the, you know, Joe and her's daughter. And uh, there's a ring at the door. And strangely enough, it's that girl from the wedding. And it's the girl that showed up all over randomly through the season in this past season of the flash but we don't really understand her backstory or what her reason for being there is like it just doesn't make any sense so we find out and man what a bombshell gets dropped right at the end of the season which is again very much like the flash to do a big you know um change of the status quo you know season one and two you had uh Barry was no more he's probably gone and then season two and a three was flashpoint and then the repercussions of that and then Wally being the flash and then like them breaking the flash out this season because he was trapped in the speed force and the status quo so like they keep changing it up so this girl <clears throat> shows up to the party and she's like oh hi we need to talk and then Barry's like whoa I have actually seen that jacket before where did you get that? How did you get that? That looks like Iris's jacket from when she was the Flash. But that's a one of a kind. Did you steal this? What up? Nah, man. The girl says, no, actually, uh, you let me borrow it. And then the bombshell gets dropped. I'm your daughter, Nora, from the future, and I'm pretty sure I made a big mistake. And it's like, oh, snap. So Nora West Allen is from the future here to try to get Barry's help and Team Flash's help with possibly something completely in the future where next season takes place entirely in the future or in a future timeline, which would be bizarre and timey-wimey how that works, but that's very Flash for you, so I don't know how that's going to happen. One thing I want to mention, it was like sad during the season Cisco and uh, Gypsy broke up and like Wells lost his intelligence and Caitlin lost the ability to become Killer Frost and man, it was just like everybody just was getting dogged on. There was all kinds of bad stuff happening to Barry. He was in jail and was like rooming and being friends with Goldberg and that's real bizarre and it's just like, I don't know. But anyways, I want to get into like what did I think of this season if I were to rate Season four of The Flash versus the other season of The Flash. I would say season one and two are pretty much tied for first and second. Season four is above season three. And I think season three is kind of the clunker. Uh, not that it was bad, um, but it kind of ends up that the Savitar storyline is just ultra predictable. Like you kind of could figure it out really early if you just had a couple pieces of info properly planted in your brain. Like if you read the comics or knew... All the storylines, you may not even have necessarily got it, but just by how they write on Flash and some of the things they typically do, 
the way they tip you off is all in the subtlety, you know? They're not going to tell you straight up, hey, Barry Allen is also Savitar and he's also the Flash. But they set it up to where they're making you think it's possible, and then they want you to have that in your head, but they don't want you to think they're actually going to play that card until they do. And they did great. So, overall, I really did enjoy Season 4. I thought it was really good. Uh, DeVoe is a great villain. I'm really excited to go back and rewatch this. I believe... Uh, don't quote me if I'm wrong here, folks. I'm pretty sure that this coming Wednesday, we'll get The Flash on Netflix. If you've got Netflix, you'll be able to watch The Flash there. Uh, and maybe also this other show. But before we get, we're going to get into that other show in a minute here. Uh, so what does the reveal of, uh, Nora Allen, what's the reveal of Nora West Allen, um, What's that going to mean for the show? And like I said, I think it's going to just mean that, I mean, what if she is doing a flashpoint? You know? Like, maybe Barry wasn't meant to stop DeVoe, and maybe she couldn't let it happen, but then how would she be born? It's a whole time paradoxical thing. It's very interesting. I'm also interested in noting if that means next season will be introduced to Bart Allen. Like, oh, also, I've run into this guy. He's your grandson. He kind of annoys the shit out of me and shows up sometimes. Uh, also, it would be interesting to note if Aobard Thawne could come back or different Earths, uh, uh, Hunter Zolomon, like, you know, have Zoom from another Earth. I know Teddy Sears is probably, I don't know if 24 is still going on. I know that's what he left for, so maybe uh, now is the time to bring him back. Man, a more visceral, vicious Zoom could be just what the doctor ordered. Like, I want... I don't know. I want a different color palette for Reverse Flash and or Zoom. I want him to maybe almost mimic the current comic book look. I think that would be cool and also futuristic if they do it right. It could be could be the really the thing they need to set up uh, next season. So what questions you know uh, do we have going into next season of Flash? And ComicBook.com did a great thing and put together some questions. So what's the first question? What happened with Nora? Yeah, why is she coming? back in time to try to help or screw things up even worse or whatever. We've already known that Barry is a man who has learned you don't mess with the timeline because the timeline always wins. You think you get one thing back and it will take three others. So it's very, very interesting and you know what what could be coming for for Nora and, and Team Flash. Who could next season's big bad be? I think, you know, uh I, I still say it it could be Aobard. Uh oh oh hold on. It's continue. Oh, they're going to continue a trend of no speedsters. Dang, that's unfortunate. I wonder. So that's that could be anybody. Non speedsters. I'm not sure. Maybe Captain Boomerang, possibly returns. Isn't he just on Argus? I don't remember. What's next for Ralph? What's the elongated man going to do? Like, what's his what's his end result in this? Uh, also. What's the importance of Joe and Cecile's baby? And also, how does her being in Barry's mind while she has the powers of telepathy, how does that affect a baby in the womb? Like, how is that kid going to be different? Is she going to have speed force? Is she going to have speed force and also telepathic abilities? Will she be a telepathic speedster? Who knows? I'm not sure. Could Marley's return next season? Eh, possible. They definitely left it open-ended that she could return. Um... And then, of course, what are we going to get from our next wells? Which wells will we be getting? 
Mm. See, it's Revenge of the Yawns. It's finally catching up to me. We're very early in this episode, though, so uh, sit back and relax, because I'm going to, you know... Also, we never did find out what's up with those dumb, those damn dumb mystery symbols. Like, Barry's writing all those mystery symbols. Wells started writing the mystery symbols, but they didn't really, like, fully explain. So, hopefully we get an explanation, you know, going into next season of The Flash. Another show wrapped... I mean, several shows wrapped up. Folks, I'm so sorry you guys are like, uh, Nate, are you going to cover Arrow? No. Am I going to cover Legend? No. Black Lightning? No. Supergirl? No. I'm behind on all of them, folks. I'm so sorry. I will catch up eventually, but I'm very behind right now, and it's a little overwhelming. But let's talk about the other DC TV that kicked ass. Got to get myself a drink of Coca-Cola. So from the penultimate episode of Gotham, we were kind of left with Jeremiah had stabbed Selina. Uh, Alfred beats the shit out of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah gets arrested. So then when we get into this episode, uh, Jeremiah is in the jail cell. He wants to talk to Jim. He tells Jim, look, bro, let me talk to Bruce Wayne and get me out of here. And I'll tell you where all the other bombs are. And he's like, other bombs, there aren't other bombs. You're just bluffing like you're full of shit. And he's like, no, there really are other bombs. And I promise that you're going to know that I'm not joking here soon. And again, Gordon's like, whatever. And then there's this argument that's happening between the mayor and Gordon where the mayor's like, Clear, see, you know, the evac- you can lift the evacuation from the city. And, and Gordon's like, no, the bombs, are, the bombs can still be active. Like, we have to make sure they're 100% safe before we let people back into Gotham. And bam, out of nowhere, the fucking city hall blows up. Explosion style Big deal, death to the mayor, that's not cool. We also get, because you know how Gotham jumps around a little bit, we also get uh, Hugo Strains and his attempt to fix Butch, uh, or Solomon, you know Grundy? You know Grundy? You know Solomon, Ed Grundy friend? That's how he talks, I fucking love it, it's great. So, um, the bo- you know, the bomb goes off, and Jim is going like, okay, um, what's going to happen? And the mayor's like, well, or, you know, they, not the mayor, but the people that the mayor has sent are going to arrest Gordon. And Enigma uh, saves Gordon. You're like, oh, cool. And then, boom, puts him to sleep with a tranquilizer dart and takes him away. We get back. Gordon's on the table. And there's this, like, thing getting ready to press down on him. And you're like, oh, my God, he's going to get crushed like a fucking pancake. Enigma essentially says, look, I want to be with Lee, but Lee is being held back by one thing. And that's the one thing that keeps her who she used to be, which is you, Jim Gordon. So you're going to have to die. And I'm going to kill you in the slowest, most brutal way possible. Um, um, An average man can, like, withstand 350 pounds of pressure on his chest before ribs start cracking. And, and, you know, as he keeps pressing down, he's like probably 250 pounds at that point. And you hear Lee go, actually, it's 450 pounds. And she calls Nygma out. So she tells Nygma, like, let him go. I want to be with you. We're going to leave together. Like, we're done. Let's get the hell out. And he lets Gordon go. And you're like, whoa, okay, so Lee and Nygma are really going to take this thing to the next level. 
So Bruce ends up in Gotham Central, but not by choice. It's like some military police show up and escort him there, but he doesn't want to be there. He obviously wants to be with Selena, which again, like Tabby and Barbara learn that Selena's been stabbed. So Tabby's freaking out and all the while with the whole thing with Butch. So, you know, uh, Bruce is going to talk to Jeremiah and there's this whole like destiny thing. And then it's like, it gets really all of a sudden, everything goes from bad to worse. Cause Bruce is talking to Jeremiah and Jeremiah's like, you know, you're his heir. And he said that this is how things would happen. And he said there was, you know, a great reckoning coming to Gotham and he, 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 and Bruce is like, who is this? He, and he's like, you should know you're his heir. You're his heir, Bruce. And Bruce is like, no. And then, boom, the lights start flickering, and it's Ra's al Ghul. And, boom, Jeremiah's gone. Bruce is gone. All of the bombs that were taken from Gotham that Gordon found with help from everybody else are now disappeared and being moved to different locations, which we find out is the bridge. So they're going to essentially make Gotham an island, so they're trying to get everybody off the bridges, which means they're trying to get the city evacuated as quickly as possible, or however, you know. They're taking boats to get people out of there because the bridges start getting blown, and shit's getting real nasty. So Lee, I want to jump over to the Lee storyline real quick here because Lee is... You know, the bombs go off and Lee's in the Narrows and Nigma goes to her and it's like, we're not leaving, are we? And she's like, no. And actually, Ed, this is the end of the line for us because I don't want to be with you because, like, I'm my own woman and you think you can control me. And Jim thought he could control me and no one can control me. I'm my own person. So, like, fucking stop trying to control me. And, you know, uh, it's really fucking crazy because she's like, Ed, ultimately, this came down to one thing. You know, like... I knew you were going to kill me, and I just can't have that over my conscience, always looking over my shoulder, and boom, she stabs Nygma, and you're like, holy shit, Lee Tompkins just killed the Riddler, but then he pulls the thing out from him and stabs her too, and then they start like passionately, fucking kind of grotesquely making out like they're fucking high school teenage kids together, just like, that was my sucking tongue noises, that's not how it sounds when I kiss, by the way, but it was just for podcasting effect I guess so you know uh, Tabitha is uh, Alfred goes to find Tabitha and Barbara because they're all going to look for Roz, Ra's al Ghul because obviously Ra's has Bruce Alfred wants Bruce so they're like hey here we're going to do it like we're going to go all team up together and while they're getting all that shit together Jeremiah and Ra's have Bruce and they're showing him the, the essentially the birth of uh, No Man's Land, which is a comic book reference that they don't actually use in the thing, but it's like subtly referenced that that's the storyline they're trying to utilize from. Um, but they keep saying that Bruce is going to become the Dark Knight that the city needs, which I love it. They're just like blatantly saying, you're becoming the Dark Knight, Bruce. Like, he doesn't understand it because he's not Batman yet, but it's like someone should just be like, hey, Bruce, you're going to be fucking Batman. Like, by the way, you're probably going to become Batman. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a guy dressed like a bat. It's you. You're Batman. Surprise, Batman. Okay, cool, great. So, you know, Bruce is like, nah, this isn't how it's going to happen. And boom, everybody shows up. And it's this epic, classic, badass battle back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, fighting and punching and shooting and killing and all this stuff. And 
Barbara recreates that knife that uh, Bruce got back in season three, and she helps Bruce stab Raish, which means technically Raish has died now, which means Bruce is definitely becoming the heir, and obviously the Lazarus Pit will have some play in bringing Raish al Ghul back from the dead. So it's like all these little things happen, and you know, I don't remember. I think that Jeremiah gets away, maybe. Um, I don't really remember, um, but they said that, and this was very interesting because, again, very similar to Killing Joke, but different. They paralyzed Catwoman very much like they did Oracle and or Barbara uh, Gordon in the comics uh, from the Killing Joke storyline. Uh, so Butch, boom, back. He's normal now. They, you know, they've saved the day, and Butch is normal, and Penguin's like, oh, it's good to see you, friend, like, and I'm so sorry, and Butch is like, why are you sorry? And right in front of Tabitha, Penguin fucking murders Butch. Oh, cold. And then he says, Tabby, you think I forgot that you murdered my mother back in season two? And he's And she's like, wait. You mean you helped me find a cure for Butch just so you could kill him in front of me? And he's like, yep, straight up gangster. And then gets her ass hauled away. So there's a few people that decide to stay in Gotham while they're evacuating. It's uh, Jim and Lucius Fox and Harvey and uh, a Bruce Wayne. Uh, we see Bruce in an alley beating up some criminals. Well, not it's like in a kind of shipping yard container type place. And then he looks up and he sees this bright ass spotlight, and he's like, "I'm gonna go to that." And here we see one of the most epic things we could have seen in Gotham, which is it's the spotlight and Jim Gordon standing by it, and behind him, out of nowhere, Bruce Wayne. And Bruce Wayne shows up, and he's like, "Oh, what's up with this? Like, you're gonna attract attention." And he's like, "I hope so." I want to bring attention. You know, also interesting to note that there are like all these gangs that are like rising up in Gotham. It's like Bridget Firefly, she has her own gang, and like Mr. Freeze is doing his own thing, and Man Bat appears in some weird random form, but he looks kind of like theatrical. So I don't know if that's going to be an actual Man Bat or they're going to do a play on Man Bat. I don't know how that's going to end up. Um, Riddler is Riddler and Lee are uh, actually given to Hugo Strange by Penguin. So that's like a weird, crazy possible, like, what in the fuck can come from that? I'm not even really sure. So, I, uh, yeah, man, I love me this season of Gotham. Uh, it was really great. I will say every season they keep getting better and better and better and better and better. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I will say, going back to Jeremiah, I forgot he was getting ready to kill Tabby, and he had, like, the knife on her thing, and she was saved by Penguin. So Penguin even saved her ass just so he could kill Butch in front of her. Like, that's how cold he was. Straight up gangster. I love it. It's so Penguin. Who ends up with, spoiler alert, a museum, which is definitely going to be the full-blown Iceberg Lounge that we, I hope, I hope they just go balls to the wall next season. Season 5 of Gotham is it. So I feel like go big or go home, bring it. To the biggest, you know, make Bruce early in the season, like maybe mid-season finale, he dons the cape and cowl for the first time and get him doing a little bit of the Batman stuff, like full-blown, not just teasing it all the, you know, until the very last shot, because if the very final shot is his first time full-on Batman, I'm going to probably get a little bit mad that that's so predictable, because you know that's probably what they're going to do, and I want them to make us be swerved. Give us Batman earlier and then make him... Have some interesting stuff happen in year one and essentially give us year one in TV form. Or, like AP said, do a movie with the cast. 
I think that would be a great idea. All right, so I loved Gotham. I'm stoked. Oh, shit. I had a thing pulled up because the guy that played Butch, uh, he said that he wanted to, well, he didn't say he wanted to, sorry. He actually wrote a letter to the fans. And I'm going to read it to you guys here. So, uh, Drew Powell, he plays Butch Gilzine, also Solomon Grundy, uh, recently wrote this because he was killed by Penguin this season, so he took to social media to share a letter he wrote um, honoring the fans that have supported the series over the past four years and express how much he has had fun playing both of his Gotham roles. He said, of course, I had no idea what this show would mean for my career or my life, but I can say now without question that it has been a defining moment. My four seasons as Butch slash Grundy have been full of so much fun and silliness and hard work and makeup. Lots and lots of makeup. I didn't want to close this particular chapter without saying how grateful I am. To the crew, quite simply, it can't be done without you. Most folks will never know how hard y'all work to make their favorite shows come to life, but I know, and I thank you. And I thank the cast. Well, that's what has made this whole experience far surpass my best expectations. We've created a family based on love and respect for one another that cannot be measured in DVR 5-plus numbers or market research data. I will miss seeing you every week, but I'll be watching and cheering you on as you close out this dark, twisted, fun, gruesome, beautiful story. Gotham will be a part of me forever, and I'm glad for that. Thanks for all the cards, drawings, and shout-outs on the subway. And beer glasses with my face on it, but mostly thank you for watching. Butch loves you, baby. You're all Grundy, friend. Mine, too. So, that's uh, that's beautiful, man. I, I love Drew Powell. He was a great, great part of Gotham. I don't know if that's the end of him. Maybe it is, but maybe not. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I am I'm will say definitively I am uncertain if they could bring, bring Grundy back, if they could do anything with him, or if that was just outright the end of his character, which it seems like just by the way they... Uh, they wrote by the way he wrote that letter so let's move on here's an interesting shocker uh, i don't know if you guys heard this or not but at the upfronts cw announced that kate kane aka batwoman is on her way to arrowverse later this year and that it is possible she will be part of the mid like uh the mid-season crossover event that they typically do the big crossover night so Man, they could, I mean, bringing one Bat character in means Batman definitely exists in the universe. Because you can't have Kate Kane without, you can't have Barbara Gordon without, you can't have Dick Grayson or or uh, Tim Drake or, uh, I'm missing somebody, whatever. I'm, I'm, oh, Jason Todd, duh. Okay, that's, um. I'm trying strawberry and garden mint organic black tea, and it's interesting. Thanks, Pure Leaf. I really appreciate that. It's uh, pretty delicious. I'm into that. So, man, that's pretty crazy. Batwoman showing up uh, definitely has some, like, long-term repercussions, right? Talking long-term for the for the Arrowverse. I mean, you got to think, Arrowverse introducing a Bat character could also mean, hey, look, Gotham is not on TV anymore. Hey, look, Batman... Might not be happening because this whole Ben Affleck thing. Will it happen? Won't it happen? That movie's supposed to come out next year, folks. If Batman is supposed to be happening in 2019, they better get their asses to filming because I don't think they got a shot to get it out if that's the case. 
little too late, in my opinion. Just saying. So let's jump over to some actual comic book news here, folks. I just want to mention that here's some very important stuff. Skybound and Image Comics will celebrate the 15th anniversary of The Walking Dead number one with the first ever Global Walking Dead Day Sunday, October 13th, Skybound announced Wednesday. They will have exclusive merchandise available to commemorate the occasion at participating comic book stores, including variants of The Walking Dead number one by Charlie Adler, who just did a very updated Walking Dead number one originally by Tony Moore. Um, I'm stoked. I love The Walking Dead. This is the 15th anniversary of The Walking Dead. It launched October 8th of 2003 uh, with Tony Moore and Robert Kirkman helming it. It's, you know, I mean, God, uh, book 180 comes out next week, folks. That's crazy. And it's crazy that Journey into Comics is, uh, has surpassed that number and we're ahead of The Walking Dead now. I didn't know if that would actually ever happen. So that was a pretty cool accomplishment for me that I didn't really ever talk about on the show. But it was really neat to know, like, man, a comic book I've been reading that has so many issues, and I know how much labor and love I've put into reading all those issues of The Walking Dead, which if you haven't, please stop wasting your time and go do it. Like, you're seriously depriving yourself of a phenomenal story. Not just a comic book story, but a story in general. And that's one thing that I always take away with The Walking Dead is that, man, like, the actual comic, there's not a story out there that can touch it, genuinely. Uh, and I think that's where maybe the TV show has faltered is that they, you know, while they said, okay, let's take some creative risks and do some shit differently. Yeah, no, you shouldn't have because that story that you guys originally told was perfect and so far has been perfect. So anyways, um, you know, uh, essentially this is The Walking Dead and them saying, look, like at some point this is going to come to an end. And, uh, you know, obviously that's still several, several years away. I mean, we're... Uh, what 15 years of the walking dead right now and we are just past what he would call halfway because he said he had 300 issues planned so you know 180s out that means we got about 120 more issues before this is done um, and robert kirkman says you know uh, walking dead isn't going to last forever it might go on for many 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 more years but i think for anyone that's been on that journey for that long they deserve a satisfying ending they deserve to know that the time that they invested in this thing was all working towards something and was building towards some kind of reward. So I think to not have any kind of end goal in mind and not have a plan would be terrible. Uh, so, and I mean, I'm, it, yeah, man. Uh, Walking Dead's my jam. Obviously, you guys know that. It's part of the cornerstone of this show. But you guys know what another cornerstone of Journey into Comics is, was, and forever will be. If you were in movie theaters this past weekend, most likely you went to see one of two things. If you didn't go see Deadpool, well, okay, I guess one of three things, because really I could probably go for another viewing of Infinity War in theaters before it's gone. Like maybe I need to sneak that in before it's all said and done. Who knows if I actually get to pull that off, but I digress. So you guys, if you were in theaters this past week and you weren't seeing Solo, you weren't or you weren't seeing Infinity War or Deadpool, spoiler alert because I just fucking said it, you saw Solo. And let me tell you, I saw it. I have a lot to say. There's a lot to talk about. There's numbers and thoughts. And is there concern? Is there Star Wars fatigue? I mean, a great question. Uh, so we're going to really get into this today. I'm going to start with a spoiler-free review. I'll go probably 10 minutes on my spoiler-free review, not really talk about the story or the details of the story, just kind of get my general thoughts and feelings on it, which you can also hear some more in-depth analysis on Foodies Watching Movies this week, the tiniest 
Mandela Effect that'll be coming out on Wednesday. Be sure to check it out right here on the Journey into Comics podcast or the Journey into Comics network at journeyintocomics.com. Back to it. So let's get into Solo. What did I think of this movie? Honestly, I thought this movie was a really, really fun heist movie. It definitely does a great job of misdirect and swerving you. The story that you kind of thought that they were telling based on the trailers and the way that they laid those trailers out, definitely not how it happens, definitely not the order of operation, definitely not what you're expecting. Um, things to take away, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones slays as Kira. Uh, Donald Glover as Lando, phenomenal. Uh, Woody Harrelson as Beckett was awesome and just such a clever role for him to play. And obviously, I'm going to fuck this kid's name up. Where is it? Alden Ehrenreich. I did not fuck it up. Alden Ehrenreich, uh, really great Han Solo. Considering he doesn't do like a direct, let me be Harrison Ford exactly, he does things subtly. It's in the body language. It's in some of the lines that are delivered and some of the things you know that Han is capable of doing and being just playing out in the real deal. And it's awesome. It's awesome how they did that. I mean, and we're going to talk about like everything in all this. So overall, I give this movie before we get heavy into this, uh, a solid four. Uh, the soundtrack was good. Not great. I don't think John Williams did it, but that doesn't matter. Cause it still did. It served its purpose. And it wasn't like the movie needed a crazy soundtrack to tell the story or to, to drive the story further because the story itself did a good job of once you got on the train, you really didn't get like, it didn't really slow down. Like in the beginning, it's a little bit like, okay, could this movie pick up? And then once you're like in the thick of it, you don't really get out of it. And there are twists and turns and confusions and betrayals and surprises and cameos that blow your fucking mind. I mean, epic this movie was truly epic i will say it's right up there man it's just like for me it's just like rogue one it's the same kind of feel because it's great you know you are limited with what you can do when you're doing a prequel story because the the future has already been preset so you're filling in the past and sometimes that can get tricky and sometimes you got to figure out smart ways to weave things in and out here like how they introduced Chewbacca to Han and that story and the life debt and all of that. It was just beautifully done, cleverly written. Uh, Ron Howard, massive shout out to him. He busts his ass and saves this movie. You know, I guess that uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord's movie was going to be much more grittier and dark and uh, kind of a grimy film. Um, and that's not the movie we got. This movie was definitely, definitely just kind of like... It just hit all the good feels. It hit all the the happy notes that I want in my Star Wars. It made me feel good. Even when there were some sad moments, even when there were some moments where you're like, oh, this is a really brutal slash dark part. Ultimately, it made you feel good when the movie was over. So the movie experience was phenomenal. I mean, it's crazy to me because we saw it on Friday, opening night at a 8.30 time, which you would think prime time, man, fucking packed house. No wasn't it was like 25 percent full we didn't even have trouble finding parking it's solo it's a star wars movie maybe this thing is maybe we've learned that star wars should stay in the christmas months stop bringing star wars into the summer it doesn't work because everybody wants their superhero shit in the summer and then in the winter they want their star wars star wars is like like the holiday special it's a warm fuzzy boba fett blanket 
even though a lot of people hate on Boba Fett because he doesn't even have an interesting fucking story, man. He's a fucking boring dude who's a clone, man. Fucking ugh. I hate people when they're like that. You know, it's like, come on, man. Okay, I admit, this tea is pretty good. So anyways, back to it. Uh, yeah, overall, I really liked the film. I liked the acting. I liked the directing. Ron Howard does a really great job. George Lucas does a great job. Surprise, he had actually... Uh, he got behind the camera for one scene in the movie. We'll talk about that in a minute. Because we're getting ready to get into spoiler territory, folks. We're, we're, you know, I mean, we're nearing my 10-minute discussion on uh, without spoiling Solo and kind of beating around the bush. Uh, you know, well, what else could have happened? You know, like, what else could we had in the Solo movie? And I don't think really that much. I mean, they could have maybe pushed him a little further in the future where where the movie's resolve is. However, I love that they don't because now you have an opportunity. Bring this cast back and have a sequel, please. Because it will be great. They will find their footing. Ron Howard at the helm and meaning to be at the helm and being a part of the writing process and the whole nine yards could be absolutely amazing. I mean, you're talking a different kind of great Star Wars. And that's not something that Solo had because it was riddled with, I mean, think about months ago, months and months ago, when we're covering it on the network and on the on the podcast here. Uh, we're saying, is it in trouble? Is there, tr- is there trouble brewing? Is this bad times for Solo? Is it going to underperform? Is it going to do shittily? It's interesting because, man, they were like, oh, dude, Solo can do up to $130 million this weekend. Probably going to do up to $130 million this weekend, right? And you're like, oh, $130 million, that's pretty good. You know, Infinity War destroys that. And, uh, you know, um, Deadpool was like $157 million. But it's like, man, that movie just came out. It's still pretty hot. The, the hype is still fresh on it. You know, like, I wonder if we see a bigger resurgence for solo numbers, like, next week when there's a little bit of a bigger gap between uh, Deadpool and the the people that want to wait till everybody else goes and sees it the first opening weekend, go and see it the second weekend because I know it's going to be less busy. Maybe that will be what happens, but it'll be a lot more people and maybe their number numbers will jump and they'll be like, oh, we had like the strongest second weekend ever. It was bigger than our first. You know, who knows? Um, all right, well, I've babbled long enough in this part, so I'm going to say it now, man. We're getting ready to get into heavy spoiler territory. I'm probably going to give like a full breakdown of what some of the things that major things that happen in this movie, some of the major moments that are worth talking about. Um, I will say before I officially get into that, let's talk about the numbers so you guys know that, so you can be like, oh, well, I fucking had to stick around through your spoiler shit to hear the numbers. So um, preview night, it does like 14 million preview night. million on Friday, and then, man, it just went... Ending at 101 million. The expected was between 130 and 150 million with a holiday weekend. With the Monday included, that's today. Uh, You guys are going to probably be going out and seeing it during the holiday. And they only expect it to raise that up to 114 million total. So, meaning that it'll only bring in 13 million on the holiday Monday. Not that great. Um, and I don't think this movie's in troubled waters, folks. Listen, go see Solo. It's really worth it. All the bullshit and the hype and the fear and the uh, is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? It's great. It really is good. I had to go see it for myself. I'm a Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars. I put my faith in Disney because they're not going to steer me wrong, right? 
I think they do a great job of being able to take a cast. Literally, I want you guys to think about this. No one in Solo. No one. None of them are OG Star Wars cast members. It's all a brand new cast that tells a phenomenal story of Han Solo in a clever way. In a way that is done so brilliantly that everything that you've ever wondered about Han Solo, for the most part, gets answered and wrapped up in a nice little bow. And then there's like a million questions about Lando that come out of this movie. And L3 is phenomenal. And the new droid. Uh, totally badass droid. Uh, okay, so uh, underperforming Solo, what does that mean? Well, it, it means that nothing really. Could it mean that marketing was bad? Possibly. I mean... The trailers weren't that great. You know, they kind of gave you questions, but then there were still questions going on because of the director shakeup and whatnot. So the next question, is this movie bad? Like, I mean, technically, if you look at the numbers, even with inflation included, this movie did poorer than all the prequel movies. So, I mean, opening weekend, again, 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 there's so much shit coming out. Infinity War... We just had Deadpool 2, this, and then like in, in a little under a couple weeks, you're going to have uh, Incredibles 2, Disney making all that money, and then you're going to have, in a couple weeks after that, Ant-Man and the Wasp, still all that money. This uh, Maybe this movie, to some people, wasn't the movie that fans were looking for, um, but maybe it was because only Harrison Ford should be playing Han Solo, and how brutal is it that in The Force Awakens you kill Han Solo, and then give us a solo movie sans the man who fucking played Han Solo. It's kind of a slap in the face. I kind of can see where people have that perspective, but I don't know about all that. Um, I don't think the movie's just bad. I don't think so. I I mean, some people can believe that. Some people are, uh, you know, fickle, like these people who want to Boy Scout, or Boy Scout, pfft. let's not Boy Scout, let's boycott Solo, that's what they're saying, and it's because why? They hated The Last Jedi. Having nothing to do with Solo, it gets taken out on Solo. Okay, so that's possible. I can believe that. Um, but maybe they the reason was that this wasn't a female-led Star Wars movie. I mean, the other ones are female-led. Rogue One, female. The Force Awakens, female. The Last Jedi, female. Ladies leading and kicking ass, man. People want to see that. Han Solo, like, being the, you know, rootin', tootin', shootin' guy, man, you know that's not necessarily going down because it's a tired concept. It kind of is. Like, that rough and tough, rugged, rogue dude who is flying solo, as I can say, you know, flying solo on solo, as it were. So, uh, I said this earlier, it's not December, which maybe that means that Star Wars just needs to keep in December. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. People, Some people saying maybe they're Star Wars fatigue. I don't believe that. Let's, let's talk about this for a second, Star Wars fatigue. Star Wars is 40-something years old, right? For, just 40 years old? Yeah, just 41 years old, officially. Star Wars is 41 years old, and there's not been fatigue. You gave us movies in the late 70s, early 80s. Nothing. Then we got the remakes in the mid-90s. But we didn't get new movies. We just got remakes of the old movies. And then in the end of the 90s, we get the first prequel, which, okay, 
not bad for the time. But then you kind of start seeing the pattern. You're like, oh my god, this is bad. Attack of the Clones, not good. Return of the or Revenge of the Sith, better, much better movie. But you kind of know where it's going because what? We have to know where the setup is for Episode Four. So everything that happens in Episode Four, you know, they have to give you some context of setup to give the universe that push, so our universe can actually make fucking sense. Um, so I don't think. Listen to me. Oh, and then after the prequels that sucked, we had to wait till what 2015 to get the Force Awakens, and that was the first like, oh, everything's better. Yeah, there's not Star Wars fatigue, folks. You're fucking crazy. That's not happening right now. I would say, if anything, there is. This is the time where Star Wars is flourishing. It just so happens that there were several other factors that factor into Solo underperforming. Hopefully Disney can get it figured out, and if they bring a sequel, they can bring it hot and heavy and make it even better. That's all they have to do is just prove that they that it was it was just the situation with the previous directors and the change that, I mean, Ron Howard had to save this movie in, like, what, a couple weeks? A couple weeks to save a movie of this budget and of this scale? Who knows what the other movie was looked like or shot like or how much? I mean, I guess the tone was supposed to be more of a, um, it was supposed to be a little bit grittier, but it was all supposed to be more uh, improv. They wanted more off-the-wall, just kind of like free-flowing, say-whatever-the-hell-you-want-to-say type stuff. And I don't think that really flew. I know the Kasdans are a little bit more tight on stuff like that. They want their story to be you know, very, very, very put together and thought out so it can really drive home a, a theme and be epic as shit. And uh, I don't think the other directors were doing a good job of bringing that to light. So Star Wars fatigue, oh, hell no. And I don't really think, can I just say, maybe $101 million opening weekend is not underperforming. Maybe other stuff is just overperforming and it's creating a standard that is not necessarily always attainable. Because there are some things that aren't going to sell as well. No matter how much people like them, it's just situationally speaking, you get all of the fucking Avengers together, guess what? People are going to come out in droves because they want to see what happens. And then you get all the hype behind it because of all the stuff that you find out happens in that movie. And it just keeps going and going and going. It's like on its way to $2 billion very fast. I mean, it just passed $1.8 billion. And it's, I mean, it's rolling. So I don't think it underperformed. I think Solo did good. I just don't think it did Star Wars level good, and that's why people are freaking out. I loved the movie. Again, folks, I say give it a shot, but uh, you've been warned. Now we're 50 minutes in, and I've done no spoilers. So now I'm officially going to say spoiler alert because there's a lot of stuff that I need to actually discuss. There's some Easter eggs and some interesting parts of the story that I want to talk about. So we're officially going to get into the movie in three, two, one. One, all right, so Solo kicks off, and they kind of give you the, the heads up that it, there's this planet, and Han and this girl are on it, and they're trying to just fight to essentially get credit so they can just essentially eat, um, but there's this, like, crazy overlord lady, and uh, she is, like, questioning Han because Han stole some shit, and there was this big chase, and he ends up, like, scarring her because he, like makes the sun come out through he like throws a rock into the window and shatters it and then the sun peeks through and she's like ah and freaks out and whatnot and uh you're like okay so then and then, then they run and the chase is on and they're trying to get to this other ship that's going to take off and they're going to go into the stars and him and kira which is his girlfriend are going to be free from this shit 
and they're at the terminal, and it's very, very tight. You know, they've got people that are checking passports or whatever, something to that effect, ID chips, and um, making sure you can be there. And Han just is, you know, they they bribe this lady. They're like, look, we'll give you this uh, this essentially hyperfuel. We're going to give you this hyperfuel, and it's worth like 800 credits, and you're going to let us both through. She lets Han through. Boom, shuts the door. Kira gets shut out. She gets taken away. Han's freaking out. No, 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 don't take her. So then Han's like, what do I got to do? Okay, well, I'm going to be a pilot. So what am I going to do to be a pilot? I'm going to go. Also, Han said at the beginning of the movie he wanted to just get him and her a ship so they could just run away and do whatever they wanted and have their own ship and they could just live their life happy with their own ship. So Han's like, okay, I'll get a ship. I'll become a pilot with the Empire. I'll get a ship. I'll fly back here and I'll save her. Smart. He's with the Empire and he's fighting on the front lines and shit's crazy and he sees this dude and this dude's like a total badass and they're like, whoa, that's crazy. And uh, he's like, I want to learn how to do, Han's like, I want to learn how to do that. And Han kind of figures out that these guys are running a scam. They're not actually a part of the, of the Empire. He's like, you know, either you heal really fast or you took that coat off a dead guy because that's a lot of bullet holes that you're walking around in that jacket. He's like, okay, so anyways, he busts him out. He's like, this dude's a deserter. Get rid of him. So they're like, okay, we're going to throw him in this pit. So they throw him in this pit, and they're like, the monster's going to eat him, and it's going to be fucking cool. So the monster is, spoiler alert, Chewbacca. They have this back and forth, but guess what? Han actually speaks a little Wookiee. It makes sense, right? They are partners, after all. He must have known Wookiee before this, right? Which is, they kind of explain that. So he tells Chewie, like, look, let's fake it like you're killing me. We're going to break this pipe because it's already half broken. The thing will collapse. We'll get out of here. It'll be great. I got people waiting for me at the airfield. They're going to take off. So, boom. They escape. And Rio and Beckett and Beckett's girlfriend are all there. And they initially are like, no. And then they bring them on board. And they're like, hey, we got this job. We're going to go hit this, like, train car. It's got a bunch of hyperfuel. It's, like, so many uh, different cores or whatever but the cores can go critical if they're unrefined but this is all refined so we don't have to worry about that but all we do have to worry about is infus nest and like we got to make sure that person doesn't fuck shit up so there you guys have seen the trailers the cool like top and bottom train car looking thing and they're like going to do the heist on that and this plan kind of goes like goes wrong and the bridge gets blown, and Beckett's girlfriend dies because she sacrifices herself. And Infus Ness is there trying to fuck shit up, like shows up unannounced, unceremoniously, and like is making making everything hard. Chewie and Han are working together as a great team and helping each other out and whatnot. And then like Rio gets shot, and you're like, oh, that sucks because he was cool. And then Han takes over the thing and flies it, right? But ultimately, Han gives up the payload. And the payload drops and explodes because it's like super, 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 super combustible. And it fucking explodes. But it doesn't hurt anybody that's right there, specifically. Infus Nest gets away. Han and team get away. But Beckett's really upset. Like, Rio is dead. His girlfriend is dead. Now all he's got is Han and fucking Chewie. So they're like, okay, well, now we got to go to... to uh, 
was it Dryden Voss or Voss Dryden Dryden Voss? I don't remember. Um, and talked to him, and because it was we were doing a job for him, and we fucked him up. So now we've got to fix this. So we got to go beg for forgiveness. He knows me. He doesn't know you guys. So they show up on his yacht on uh, Dryden's yacht. And who would have it but Kira from the beginning of the movie is there. And this is actually the scene that George Lucas himself directed. He was there that day. He was there many days on the set. But Ron Howard said, hey, man, direct this scene. What would you do? How would you do it? And let him play and let him do it. So that was pretty cool to see. And going in, I knew that. I didn't know, like, all of the scene. But I knew kind of where it started. So I was, like, aware to be like, okay. what? what?" There wasn't any, like, crazy major differences. But it was just, like... You could tell certain angles are are George Lucas style angles and cantina scenes or shit that he's good at directing. All that chaos, you know. So they talk to Dryden, and Dryden's like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna have to kill you." And they're like, "No, no, 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 no. Here's the deal. We're gonna go to Kessel and get unrefined core, and we're gonna bring the unrefined core back to you, and that's gonna be the score, and you're gonna have more of it than you had initially because we're gonna bring it unrefined, and once you refine it, it's worth so much." So he's like, great in theory, but the decay on that is you're, you don't have time. There's no way. That'll explode before you get it back because if it's unrefined, it's gonna, it just decays fast and then explodes. So you got to get it to a refinery so they can refine it into pure hyperfuel. And then, boom, it's going to be good and everything's golden. So they, they got to figure it out. Got to put together a little bit of a deeper crew. They got to get a ship. Kira's like, oh, lucky for me, because she works for Dryden Voss, actually is his right-hand lieutenant. Uh, he, She works for Dryden Voss. She's like, he's like, you're going to go with them. Make sure they don't fuck up and fail, because if they fail, you're all dead. Every one of you, you're dead, too. You're going to pay for their shit, too, also, as well. And she's like, oh, this is awful. Like, this is not how I wanted things to go. And she's like, luckily, I know a ship. And we find Lando. And Lando and Han, Han, uh, play a game of cards against each other. Uh, Sabat and uh, essentially Han is trying to win Lando's ship he bluffs him he's like where's Lando ends up winning but of course he had a uh, like a trick card Lando wins and he's like where's my ship and Han's like I don't have that ship and he's like, but this is what's going on. We've got this job. We really need your ship. And he's like, okay, I'll take it for, I'll do the job 50%. And they're like, no, 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 20%. And he's like, 40%. And he's like, okay, Beckett's like 25. And he's like, fine, I guess I'll do it. So they're going to do it. They got the the Millennium Falcon. Han goes there. And then the movie really just picks up again to a whole nother gear. They're going to go to Castle. They have to go into this really crazy, treacherous um, maelstrom that uh, could that has a lots of explosives and and portals and bad shit happening, and man, it's just like the crazy heist. They get in, they liberate all these droids and get all this unrefined hyperfuel and get it back onto the Falcon with help of other Wookies, because like Chewie finds some other Wookies and helps get them free and stuff and and stuff like that. And Warwick Davis makes a cool cameo appearance in the movie as like an actual character who actually says some lines and is not just Wicket the Ewok. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, so they get the unrefined core back to the refinery on this other planet. 
And what do you know? Infosnatch shows up again. And they're like, fuck. This Infosnest is the worst. And what you realize is Infosnest is like a kid whose mother was killed who wore the same garb as Infosnest. And she's just trying to defend her people who are a bunch of people who are like the rebellion before the rebellion. And this hyperfuel will be a good start to stopping the Empire, right? So Han, with his dutiful trying to do the good thing, is like, okay, we got to come up with a better plan. We can't give the the core to Dryden because he's the bad guy in this. Like, that doesn't make any sense. What are we going to do? And they come up with a plan, and he tells Beckett the plan, and Beckett's like, I'm out. I'm not doing the plan. And they go to Dryden, and they're like, Dryden, we got it. And he's like, bring it. And he's like, okay. And Han brings it. And they open it up, and he's like, give me one, Han. He gives it to him. He's like, oh, wow, this is so good. I, You know, it, it almost fooled me for the real thing. And Han's like, it's the real thing. He's like, no, it's not. Like, like you told me Beckett died, but hold up. I got this Trump card, or this Bernie card, and uh, calls in Beckett. And Beckett's like, I told you not to trust anyone, kid. And Han's like, well, lucky for you, I knew you were predictable, so I didn't. And he's like... Dryden Voss, I know you'd sent all your best men to Emphis Nest to take the core. And guess what? It's not here. It's in this room. And only the people in here got an opportunity to get it. And, man, it's epic. It comes down to Chewie and Beckett take it. Well, Beckett makes Chewie take it. And then Han stops him. And then Han shoots him before he has a chance to say anything. He's like, I was going to shoot you, kid. Real sad moment. He gives the core back to Emphis Nest. But in amidst this, he tells Kira, like, I'm going to come back for you. And now she's there. Oh, there was a big fight, and Dryden Voss gets killed by Kira. She, uh, man, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, she, she kills Dryden Voss, and it's epic how she does it. Like, super cool fighting style that she uses. And uh, Tezra Kasi, I do believe. Uh, shout out PlayStation 1 games. Anyways, so um, she is in the yacht now, and Dryden Voss is dead, and she's like, I'm, I'll be right behind Jahan, and she picks up the ring from Dryden Voss that he was wearing, and there's this little count, this little like thing, and she puts the ring in it, and then there's a hologram talking to her, and you're just like, who the fuck is this? Who the fuck is this? What's being said? And you're like hearing this conversation about like, the Crimson Dawn is going to keep going forward with their plans and everything, and, like, everything's going forward as planned. And then the fucking most epic reveal happens because... Now, for a guy like me, I don't watch... Uh, I haven't watched Star Wars Rebels or Clone Wars or any of that stuff. I'm real far behind, and I need to catch up on that shit. But, out of nowhere, I haven't seen him since Episode One: The Phantom Menace, when he gets chopped in half by Obi-Wan Kenobi. But the returning Darth Maul, what? I literally in the theater loudly exclaimed, holy fuck, and then covered my mouth in shock that I had said that so loudly because I wasn't expecting that truly, and it and it shocked me. So I was just like, what, 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 how, what? He's got mechanical legs. Like, and then I find out that in the cartoons, like, he's like a main character, and they explain all that stuff, so like, this is all canon, Oh, man, that's epic. That means that, I mean, people that Han knows interacted with Darth Maul, who also interacted with Obi-Wan. 
I mean, it's just it's just further connecting and intertwining that story, and it's so epic. Um, Han goes back to Lando and tricks him and beats him for his ship, takes his trump card, and gets the Falcon. Epic. Oh, man, there was that also the epic thing during the... Ke- oh, we didn't mention the Kessel Run. Uh, so Han jumps through this field, and it's like a tw- it's a tw- it's twenty parsecs through the the Kessel Run field, and they're like, "You can't do it in under twenty, kid." And he's like, "I'm gonna do it in 12. So he does it as best as he can, you know, just like whips ass, and they get through and they survive. And like I said, they do it. They obviously get the unrefined core back. Um, and then I loved it because he's like, Chewie, he's like, I did the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs, and Chewie's like. <laughs> And Han's like, it's 12 if you round down, Chewie. It's 12 if you round down. So it was more like 13 seconds he did the Castle Run, which has been a great argument of fans for many, many years. Did he really do it in 12 seconds? Uh, and we got to see the Castle Run. It was awesome. And there was that part where like the big monster was trying to get him, but then the black hole was sucking the monster in and like killed the monster. And then like they injected some of the core into the um, hyper the light speed um i'm bad with names right now but when they go to activate light speed they injected it with the fucking hypercore and it fucking shoots them through space even faster through the millennium falcon which was awesome yeah over oh and then also when han was in the han drives the falcon he has to take over cuz like l3 bites it and stuff during the 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 big heist, uh, which L3 was an awesome character, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, or Phoebe Bridge-Waller, I think, Waller-Bridge, I don't remember, uh, plays L3, and that character is just really cool, because it's definitely like a modern, it, it has like something to say about modern society in the character, but it's done in such a nice way that's not like in your face. Uh, ultimately Han, he heard from Beckett that there was some gangster on a place called Tatooine that was putting together a big job that would make him rich and it could be the last job that was ever done. So at the end of the movie, Han's like, well, Chewie, it looks like we're going to go find that gangster on Tatooine, which means job of the hut. Oh, I'm so excited. So man, like I said, love this movie. I thought it was really good. I thought that the surprises were great and the little Easter eggs were cool. Speaking of Easter eggs, let's get into it here. We had Darth Maul's epic, epic return. Characters like uh, Han and Chewie obviously coming back. There's a reference to Bosk. Uh, I mean, awesome. Uh, Rogue One was the first attempt by Disney to create the standalone film. Uh, while much of the material painted Infus Ness as the villain, we discover she's actually an early member of the Rebel Alliance who attempts to thwart Crimson Dawn of the Galactic Empire. Uh, one of Ness's cohorts is um, Bethnic Two Tubes, who we previously previously met in Rogue One as one of Saw Gerrera's allies. It appears the, through aligning himself with the Rebellion served him for at least a few years. Solo also identifies Scarif as a planet with an abundance of coaxium. That's the fucking thing. Coaxium. A valuable fuel which would eventually get blown up at the end of Rogue One. So that's, yeah, okay. Uh, Return of Return of the Jedi. Uh, As Han looks for a way to ditch the Galactic Empire and join Beckett's crew, he's labeled a deserter and suffer the consequences. Oh, that was cool that they had, like, it was similar to the uh, Rancor pit. I actually thought, I was like, oh, my God, is it going to be a Rancor? But then it uh, it was actually Chewie. 
And Han really does shoot first. He actually shot Beckett, which was cool because if that didn't happen, he would have died. There were several classic quotes like uh, Han saying he has a really good feeling about this and uh, the I love you things and the I knows uh, between Lando and L3. And uh, also Lando says, I hate you. And Han goes, I know. Uh, so yeah, uh, Lando's legacy talking about, you know, he claims in empire that he won the ship fair and square, but he did because he won it originally fair and square, but Lando cheated and then he cheated Lando and won it back. So clever, uh, iconic items, obviously the dice were in the movie and they had the, uh, the game of. Dejaric, I think is what it's called. Uh, the holographic, like, claymation thing they had in the first movies, but it's much better done now. Interesting. Okay, so this is interesting. I don't know this. This is something from comic book I just pulled up. Um, it says, Anthony Daniels has appeared in every Star Wars film as C-3PO with Solo, making the first absence of the protocol droid. Daniels instead appears as a humanoid character during the revolt on Kessel. Other cameos include director Ron Howard's brother Clint, who is the droid. Uh, he's doing like the battle bots with the droids. Uh, actress Linda Hunt voicing the criminal overlord Lady Proxima. That's Lady Proxima's from the beginning. During the revolt on Kessel, Lando's droid companion L337 is seemingly killed, though with some quick thinking, her brain appears to be uploaded to the Millennium Falcon as to help access her navigational memories. Fans have debated that this if this means the droid's consciousness is forced to live inside the ship forever, which might be why Han speaks to her in New Hope as if she's a living thing when he says, Hear me, baby, hold, toge hold together during the firefight. The film featured a new score by composer John Powell, though there are familiar, many familiar film cues we've heard through other points in the saga. Most surprising moments include the recruitment video for the Galactic Empire using the iteration of Imperial March, which often accompanied the arrival of Vader. Given that we never hear the song in a world, it's a meta moment for the audience when we actually hear the familiar fanfare. Uh, the 90s were full of Star Wars video games. This is a really great one. Um, an attempt to cash on all the properties that they could. One of the worst video games ever released was Star Wars Masters of the Terra Terras Kasi, which is essentially a Tekken ripoff. Kira demonstrates her impressive fighting abilities and claims she is trained in Terras Kasi, which obviously is a callback to the video game. I fucking love that. That was great. Uh, so that is that for Solo, folks. I liked the movie quite a bit. If you haven't yet seen the movie, I don't know why you listened this far, but I appreciate it. So before we go, we got something. Ron Howard has responded to the disappointing solo box office reports. Ron Howard said, didn't mean projections, but amounts, uh, didn't meet projections, but amounts to a new personal best. Check solo, a star Wars story for balancing feedback and then see it on a big screen. Oh, 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 check Star Wars solely for balance feedback and see it on the big screen, he says. So just telling people, man, give it a shot on the big screen. You don't know if you're going to hate it or love it. And if you hate it, sorry. And if you love it, great. That's awesome. We're glad that you like this movie. But anyways, folks, I think that's going to do it for this week of Journey into Comics. As always, you can check us out on all the different social medias, whether it's on Facebook at Journey into Comics Podcast, Instagram at Journey into Comics, or on Twitter at JIC Network. You can also check us out on all the different podcasting platforms, whether it's iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music. We are now on Spotify. Just search Journey into Comics Network. 
you'll get all the shows on our network. And also, folks, want to mention, this week debuting on Friday, Kids for Sale, the parenting podcast, will be dropping this coming Friday. We've also had the new influx of Adulting Ain't Easy joining the network here and, you know, had some other shakeups going on. And uh, just looking forward to the future of the network, man, and what all we can bring for you guys. I want to say thank you guys so much for checking out Journey into Comics. You can check us out at journeyintocomics.com. Alternately, if you're not on one of those podcasting platforms, we hope to hear you there. Uh, Give us five stars on iTunes or subscribe on Podbean. We really appreciate it. That means you'll never miss one of our episodes. And last but not least, this is the big one, folks. If you want to help us grow, and that's the big thing, we're trying to grow here. We need you to go to patreon.com backslash journeyintocomics. Donate $1 a month to us or $3. $1 will get you early access, 3 bucks, early access and exclusive content to a bunch of shows dropping on the network exclusively on Patreon. Some stuff you've heard teasers for like Brews with Babes. Other shows haven't been announced yet or are still in development. We're working on consistently and continuously growing our network to be something unique that is exclusively for people like you guys. We thank you so much for listening to this episode of Journey into Comics. This is Journey into Comics episode 193, going solo on solo. I have been your host, Nate. Whoa, don't, hold on, time out, don't leave yet. I'm so sorry. I know I just ended the episode and you're like, what the fuck, Nate? This is the second week in a row. You've interrupted us and told us, no, you can't leave yet. We thought we could leave yet. It's not time to leave yet. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I've just finished the episode. I'm getting ready to do the export. I'm thinking about it. I had all these topics I wanted to cover, wanted to talk about Solo and Walking Dead and all this other stuff. Forgot the absolute massive news, humongous news coming out of Marvel that I just really wanted to quickly brief on and explain to you guys how excited I am for this and tell you why it's important and tell you to get your asses ready to be even more excited. You thought Michael Keaton was phenomenal as the Vulture? Well, first of all, Michael Keaton will be returning for the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming sequel. But we have officially, unofficially, I guess, announced the first cast member for the major villain of the movie. Debuting in Amazing Spider-Man 13, one of my all-time favorite villains from the Spider-Man universe. Actually, my favorite villain from Spider-Man. Debuting all the way back in June of 64, if you can believe that, okay? Quentin Beck, a.k.a. Mysterio, will be played by none other than Jake Gyllenhaal. And let me tell you guys something. Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be the perfect, perfect person to be Quentin Beck. What you need in Quentin Beck is someone who can be a props guy who's also good at acting. And guess what? Jake Gyllenhaal is, at heart, an actor first. So an actor playing an actor is easy for him. He's going to slay in this role. He's going to be visceral. I really hope, you know, it'd be really interesting. I don't know if they will do this, but I really do hope that they are smart and they actually use some of the first appearance of Mysterio as the basis for the story for Spider-Man Homecoming 2 or whatever you're going to call it. And I say that because in the original, the debut of of Mysterio, right? When Mysterio shows up, you don't see him as Mysterio. First of all, you see Spider-Man robbing a bank, and you're like, what? And then Mysterio brings him down. You're like, what? And then Spider-Man's this menace, and everybody's like after Spidey, and Pete's like, I'm not buying it. I know it's not me. I'm not the bad guy. Something's going on. Something's not right. And eventually he figures it out, 
that Quentin Beck is double-crossing everybody, being the bad guy and the good guy both. And that, uh, you know, he had used practical effects to recreate the Spider-Man powers to his be- the best of his abilities. Uh, and I love that. If they made, I mean, think about it. Tom Holland is essentially on the run as a good guy Spider-Man who's secretly not the bad guy, but everybody is seeing Spider-Man looking like Spider-Man being a bad guy robbing places. And then him having to, like, you know, he's got people that know he's Spider-Man. They're going to have questions. Ned's going to be like, uh, Pete. Buddy, uh, why are you robbing places? That's not like your mo. What's up with that? And he's like, it's not, it's not me, Ned. Like, come on, man, you should know better. It's this other guy. Hopefully, that would also mean the inclusion of J. Jonah Jameson. This would be a good opportunity for us to be introduced to the Daily Bugle, J. Jonah Jameson, Betty Brant, some of the other characters from that universe. I mean, come on, it's time. And like I said earlier, Michael Keaton returning as Vulture. So you got Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Keaton. Aaron, I can't remember. Is it Aaron? It's not Sanchez. I can't fucking think of his name. Uh, the guy from Breaking Bad who was Mac Gargan, a.k.a. eventually the Scorpion. So you're building really quickly, very, very concisely. Only, what, two or three dudes away? No, no, because Shocker included. you got to think Herman Schultz was also in the last movie. So you've got Shocker, Scorpion, Shocker, Scorpion, Vulture, Mysterio, that's four. You need Doc Ock and Electro to get a Sinister Six, or you need Doc Ock and Green Goblin to get a Sinister Six, maybe. Those are the ways I would go. Who knows? But I think that that's what they're going to actually build towards, is a proper Sinister Six story for Spider-Man, because while they have all this other interconnectivity, being able to tell a bigger Sinister Six story that's built over time and is the finale of that Spider-Man story per se before he goes and does more of the Cavalier appearances in other people's movies because we're making them the next big thing type thing. I mean, it could be very interesting. What if they introduce Craven the Hunter? Oh, man, that'd be amazing. Uh, I don't know who you'd get to play Craven the Hunter, though. I mean, it's got to be someone who's like, really visceral you know like also he's got at like Danny Trejo almost but Danny Trejo's a little old but like in that vein of actor you know would be perfect perfect casting for Craven the Hunter but uh okay so officially folks I'm so sorry I know I did like this whole like coda and thought Nate's going away it's done he ended the episode whoa we're finally here okay let's try it again though And I don't know how I'm going to do that. I might have already cut the other things. You might not have even known I ended it. I don't know. But I ended it, and you guys didn't know that because time travel. It's weird, right? I erased it, and time is different now, and you didn't know that, but I know that. See, I lived a different reality. Podcasting allows me to be a time traveler. You ever want a time machine? Be a podcaster. Because guess what? You might not be listening to this on Monday. You might be listening on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's two months from now, six months from now, a year from now, ten years from now. It might be 2028. We might be under rule from, I don't know who. I'm not going to try to predict that bullshit. All I know is, folks, I want you to sit back, relax. Thank you so much once again for checking out Going Solo on Solo, Journey into Comics, episode 193. I have been your host, Nate. Take care, relax, and fill your brains with shit.